The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood, join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store or via the app. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever the mission, home or away, Enterprise helps over 120,000 people every day. With vans of all shapes and sizes, if you have a plan, Enterprise has a van. No matter if you need to rent for an hour, a day, a week or longer, Enterprise offers great rates for you or your business. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. The great Brazilian Pelé turned football into the beautiful game. It's Pelé! Pelé now! Yes, Pelé! That is the touch of a master! With a staggering 1,281 goals in just 1,363 games, including 77 goals in 92 appearances for the world's most successful football nation, Brazil, Pelé took football to a level never seen before. Watch Pelé now! What a beautiful goal from Pelé! For every Brazilian, Pelé is the number one. You saw him for the first time in black and white, and he was absolutely astonishing. Brazilian team of Pelé, Ribellino, Gerson, Jairzinho, that's some great players, but Pelé obviously was the star. He had absolutely everything. Pelé, as talented as he was, and he was unbelievably talented, was one hard day boy. Pelé had everything that, that all the attributes you need to be the greatest footballer. For those who played with or against him, from Alfredo Di Stefano to Ferenc Puskas to Franz Beckenbauer and Bobby Moore, they queued up to name him as the best they'd ever laid eyes on. I'm Danny Kelly and watching Pele fire Brazil to glory in the 1970 World Cup in the glaring sun of Mexico on colour television for the first time made me fall in love with football. Over the next hour, we'll look back at Pele's extraordinary life in the game through the eyes of those who knew him, played with or against him, or simply admired his extraordinary talent. This is El Rey Pele, the king of football. Edson Arantes do Nascimento, named after the inventor of the light bulb, Thomas Edison, latterly just known as Pele, was born back in 1940 to humble parents in a small town just outside the bustling cities of Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. And there was soon a special spark from the young Brazilian. South American football expert Tim Vickery has lived in Brazil for over 30 years and is embedded in the history of the South American and Brazilian game. We will hear insight from Tim throughout the next hour. Here he tells us how the upbringing of Pelé moulded his success. He is an almost perfect synthesis of his parents. There are two main motivating forces in life, pride and fear. And he had them both. The pride came from his father. His father was a very, very good footballer, very talented and very intelligent. The other side comes from his mother a very, very strong character. Pelé's father, on the day of his big opportunity as a footballer, suffers a serious injury. And this plunges the family into poverty with no way out. 
and his, his dad ends up sweeping the doctor's surgery. It's the fear of being unable to provide. And this is very, very strong in Pelé as well. And there is no way that he's going to become a footballer because his mum won't allow it. And the message is drilled into him. This is an insecure profession. And that means that the fear of failure, the fear of being plunged back to poverty, means that he puts so much into physical preparation. So from his parents, he gets this perfect cocktail of pride in his profession and fear of failure. And soon that compound came to astonishing fruition. On the 7th of September 1956, Pelé made his debut for Brazilian club Santos. He was 15. The teenager scored four goals against Corinthians. A star is born. The following season, Pelé would go on to be the league's top scorer, aged just 16. An early call-up to the national side seemed inevitable. The name Pelé was beginning to be heard all over Brazil. But the famous four-letter word wasn't actually on the Brazilian's birth certificate. Here, Pelé himself explains where the iconic name came from. When I started to play with the kids in, in, in an, another city where my father w went to play, because my father was a soccer player too, then I don't know if I made some mistake, because in Portuguese, when you kick with the, pé, with the foot, go pé. Maybe because I made some mistake, I didn't kick well, they said Pele. <laughs> <laughs> I fight with everybody, no, my name is Edson. <laughs> In 1957, the young Santos forward made his debut in the famous Yellow of Brazil and scored in a 2-1 win against bitter rivals Argentina, making him the youngest ever scorer for the national side, a record he still holds today. Author David Goldblatt wrote the book Football Nation, A Footballing History of Brazil, and told us about the Brazilian side that Pelé came into. When Pelé broke into the Brazilian national team, Brazil is, in football terms, a country still in mourning, having lost the 1950 World Cup at home to Uruguay in front of a huge crowd. The country's kind of confidence has been shot to pieces, and there is this sort of sense of how are we ever going to, you know, achieve our kind of potential. So Pelé comes into the... Brazilian national team when there's huge expectation that they can finally turn around the defeat of 1950. As the 1958 World Cup in Sweden approached, there was a lot of hope on the shoulders of a 17-year-old Pelé, but some were questioning whether he had the experience to already be playing at such a huge stage. Pelé got the call-up and would leave Brazil for the first time in his life to fly to Europe, but he came into the tournament nursing a knee injury and would miss the first two games. His initial outing came against the USSR in the third match of the first round, and the world soon knew about Brazil's young number 10. At 17 years and 249 days, Pelé became the youngest player to ever score in a World Cup finals, and more records were set to be broken. His first World Cup goal came against Wales in the quarter-final before scoring a sensational second-half hat-trick in the semi-finals against France, leading Brazil into the final against host Sweden. The watching world was speechless. Former player and of course manager Harry Redknapp, who later in life played against Pelé in the United States, remembers watching the great man at the 1958 finals. He's a baby, he's a youth player still. You know, by today's standards, it's still being, a, you know, he's a kid. 
And he was playing there. He's in the World Cup final, the best player in the World Cup. He just had everything. He, he could take the ball in. He could shoot. You know, he had ability to beat people. Eight years earlier, Brazil had tasted defeat in the World Cup final to Uruguay at the Maracana in the 1950 World Cup. It was a national disaster. On that day, Pelé's father, like so many Brazilians, broke down in tears. And a nine-year-old Pelé said to him, don't worry, Dad, I will win you the World Cup. Now, just eight years later, he had the chance to fulfil his promise to his father. And it was a final that belonged to the teenager. Pelé, inlägg from Ilton Santos. Pelé, ah, det är lysande. Titta på uppvisningen. Det är makalöst. Det är fullständigt enastående. Det är 3-1 för Brasilien, Pelé. For the very first time, Brazil were world champions. A 5-2 win over Sweden with two Pelé goals. It was the birth of a global superstar. During the storm of emotion, young Pelé actually had to be resuscitated by teammate and fellow Samba superstar Garincha. After scoring his second, he passed out in front of the goal. Garincha came over, picked up his legs to circulate the blood to Pelé's head. Brazilian journalist based in Sao Paulo, Mauricio Savarese, explains the impact the 17-year-old Pelé had on his nation at this time. In 1958, when Brazil was winning its first World Cup, uh, although big, uh, Brazil had very little impact in the international scene, and Pelé was the person who actually put Brazil there, and he was the one that made the difference. And uh, a lot of people said after that, I mean, important Brazilians like Antonio Carlos Jubin, the musician, uh, or Ayrton Senna, the Formula One driver, that uh, Pele deserves that credit for putting Brazil on the international stage. By then, also, the number 10 shirt wasn't really a big thing in, in, world, in world football. And uh, apparently, he also gave that impact. For a very long time, the most talented player of each team used to have the number 10 on the back, and uh, that's also a Pele legacy. The teenagers' achievements in this tournament were the foundations of the wonderful career that lay ahead. The man himself, Pele, spoke to CNN many years later and reflected on what happened in Sweden. My first World Cup was, I was with 17 years old. <laughs> this was the World Cup in 58, Brazil won. Then I was there. I think this was the most important moment in my, my career. So Brazil were world champions for the very first time and the nation was in party mode. Four years later, with over 300 more goals under his belt, the World Cup was back, this time held in Pele's home continent, South America, in Chile. Between 1957 and 1961, Pele had scored 355 goals, a humongous number that most great players barely reached by the end of their career. When the 1962 World Cup began, Pele was widely regarded as the best player in the world. Tim Vickery tells us the level that the 21-year-old was at going into this tournament. The best Pele, and Tostan was emphatic on, on this, and I agree with him, was 62-63. And you see the physical difference between the Pele of 58 and the Pele of 62. And he's, he's become a middleweight boxer. He's really filled out. And that's design as well. You know, he, he, he knows he has to do that in order to take the punishment that, that, that was coming his way. And it, it's a real shame because he was right at his peak. And the Santos striker lived up to expectations. Pele's goal against Mexico in Brazil's opening game is deemed by some as his greatest at a World Cup finals. But the joy was short-lived. 
Pelé injured himself in the next group game while attempting a long-range shot against Czechoslovakia. His tournament was over. Brazil cries for Pelé was the headline back home. His 58 heroics would not be repeated. But with a young Amarildo as his replacement, his teammates would still taste glory as Brazil beat Czechoslovakia again in the final in Santiago to retain the Jules Rimet trophy. Coming up on El Rey Pelé, King of Football, a 21-year-old Pelé already had two World Cups to his name, but there was much more to come. Oh, and Trostello in now, Pelé! Oh, yes! With a stolen in boot, Pelé puts that one in there. This is the sign of a very great club. I've got time to have a look to see where people are. Oh, just he raced in the area. Pelé, the greatest player I've ever seen. As I reach back here, it hits the top of my hand and it goes behind me. And honestly, I thought it was a goal, I thought it was in. Having won the two previous World Cups, the pressure was on the Brazilians in 1966. And it was across the Atlantic again for Pelé and his teammates. The destination, England. England were hosts for the very first time, cheered on by their theme song, World Cup Willie, and Sir Alf Ramsey's men, among other favourites, West Germany, Italy and Portugal, would stand in Brazil's way of retaining the trophy at Wembley. Pelé was the world's most famous footballer in 1966, and with the addition of other stars like Jarzinho, Tostão and Gerson to Brazil's already fearsome lineup, there were high expectations for a third successive Jules Rimet trophy for the Canarinho. But this time, it wasn't meant to be. And there is the final whistle. Eusebio, the man of the match. Portugal 3, Brazil 1. The defending champions crashed out in the first round, playing just three matches, and there was some rough treatment for their star man. I thought twice, actually. The referee let it go the first time. It really was heavily brought down again there the second time, quite unnecessarily so, too. Pelé scored a free kick against Bulgaria in the opening game, becoming the first player to score in three successive FIFA World Cups but he was forced to miss the second game against Hungary after some tough tackling left him battered and bruised. Legendary commentator Jim Rosenthal, who has covered eight World Cups, remembers what Pelé had to endure in 66. He was physically assaulted by Bulgarian and Portuguese defenders. He was the most famous footballer in the world. He, he was mobbed wherever he went in England. He was such a popular figure, but he was absolutely physically assaulted. And younger listeners to this, you will not believe what you would see. These days, those players would have been off in an instant. Then it was a very different era. And uh, I can remember crying when the Portuguese kicked Pelé out of the 1966 World Cup. The team who did it most decisively were Portugal, who weren't a dirty team. But remember, they faced him with Benfica in 62. They're absolutely terrified of him. You know, it, it's so, you know, kick him until he moves. Uh, you know, if he moves, kick him. And if he doesn't move, kick him until he moves and, and, and then, then kick him again. Brazil went home on the first plane and it was the host England who would taste glory at Wembley. And here comes Hurst. He's got some fibbler on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now. It's four. There was major disappointment back in the motherland. Tim Vickery tells about Brazil's squad in the World Cup and how it led to failure. And the team that won in 62 was an old team. Almost all of them were 29 or over. And as many of those who could stand were still in the team now. 
It's as if, you know, they're world champions, so they're, they're perennial world champions. And some of the players coming through, and it was, it was a chaotic, uh, chaotic build-up as well. And the whole thing really soured Pelé. Everything about it soured him. And he said, I ain't going to do it no more. No more World Cups for me. And how lucky we all are that he went back on his word. Fast forward four years to 1970, the swinging 60s are over, the World Cup is back, Mexico are the hosts, and Pele has reversed his decision and is back in the famous yellow strip. Oh, and Jose Arrieta, now Pele! Fires! With a stolen in truth, Pele puts that one in there. Pele was called up to the national team in early 1969. At first, he refused, but then accepted and played in six World Cup qualifying matches, scoring six goals on Brazil's way to the finals. Pele would play in the 1970 World Cup, but this would be his last. There was a lot of unrest in the Brazilian camp going into the tournament. Tim Vickery describes what was going on with Pele and the national side at this time. He's nowhere near the best Pele. Physically, he's bulked up perhaps a little bit too much to cope with the physical punishment that he, that he, that he takes. It's fascinating to me that going into the World Cup, he's really questioned. And Brazil lose a coach, Saldanha, really because he'd fallen out with Pele. And... Aimore Moreira, who coached Brazil when they won the World Cup in 62, is writing articles going into the competition saying Pele can't play. The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood, join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store, or via the app. Hold that, please. Level 5, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. This episode of the TalkSport Daily is brought to you by Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Planning to hire or share a car or van? Enterprise is there every step of the way. Whenever and wherever you need a vehicle and whatever it's for, Enterprise can help. With over 450 locations across the UK, they're just around the corner. Whether you need a weekend rental, a holiday hire, a replacement car, or you're planning a business trip, home or away, Enterprise are there to help. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. But how Pelé proved his doubters wrong... Mario Zagala, who had played with Pele in the 1958-62 World Cups, was to take over as the new manager of Brazil from the departing João Saldana. And in the first match against Czechoslovakia, Zagala's Brazil delivered in style. It's Pele! Pele now! Yes, there it is! That is the touch of a master! Pele scored the second in a 4-1 win and even attempted to lob Ivo Victor from the halfway line, only narrowly missing. The great entertainer had the globe watching. 
Up next, it was the reigning champions, England, who had also won their first game, beating Romania 1-0. But a Jairzinho goal gave Brazil the three points against the holders. But perhaps that game's most iconic moment was this. Two greats collided in Guadalajara. Pelé was recorded shouting goal as the ball came off his head, but Gordon Banks responded with what is considered by many as the save of the century and widely known as one of the greatest World Cup moments. The late great goalkeeper recalled what happened that day in Mexico. I've got time to have a look to see where people are. Honestly, raced in the area, Pelé, the greatest player I've ever seen. Alan Mulry was about a yard behind. Now racing into that box. Look further over there, Jarzino. He now gets to the ball and he crosses it for Pelly who's racing into that area. I run from that near post to the centre goal. Never ever did I stand on the line in normal play. Always stood a few yards off the line. He now punches it with his head and it's going just inside this right-hand post. Speed it's come off his head. I know I've got to get over there double quick. So now as I'm leaping across it, I've got to anticipate how high it's going to bounce up from the heart. So as I reach back here, it hits the top of my hand and it goes behind me. And honestly, I thought it was a goal. I thought it was in. I don't know where it's gone. The momentum of the save brings my lower part of my body around, my head come round, and I now see the ball bounce behind the goal. <laughs> wow. Despite somehow not getting on a score sheet, thanks to Banks's heroics, Pelé caused havoc to the Three Lions' defence. Commentator Jim Rosenthal tells us more about what happened that day. Everyone remembers the Gordon Banks save from Pelé in that World Cup. Bobby Moore saying to Gordon Banks, I thought you should have held it, to be quite honest. But uh, Pelly was there and um, he, he was phenomenal in, in 1970. Former Spurs and England midfielder Alan Mullery was tasked with marking Pelly that day and told Talk Sport what that entailed. I played against him in 69 and Alf said to me, you know, follow him everywhere he goes. He said, if they lose him and we lose you, we've got a great chance of winning. And uh, was such a great player that he was and a lovely man as well. I can see it now. Carlos Alberto plays it down the line, gets into Jerzino, who was quick, very, very quick. He goes past Terry Cooper crosses the ball we all move across naturally you know Bobby Moore moved across Brian LeBone moved across I left Pelly on the far post with Tommy Wright and Pelly the ball is there and he's like on a trampoline oh, 3-2 against Romania 4-2 against Peru in the quarter-finals and then it was Uruguay in the semis the nation who had beaten Brazil in that final 20 years earlier but this time, it was to be different. Brazil came from behind to win 3-1. And Pelé was once again doing things on the field no one had ever seen before. Pelé streaking away. There's a beautiful pass for him. He's round the goalkeeper. Just let him run off. And he's scored. No! The most magnificent dummy. Pelé's famous dummy left the Uruguayan goalkeeper Ladislao Mazakevic and the watching millions flabbergasted. And it was universal disappointment as the subsequent shot rolled agonisingly past the post. But Brazil were back on the greatest stage, the World Cup final. Their opponents, two-time winners Italy, who had squeezed past the Germans in extra time in the other semi-final. Could Pelé do it again? Could he be the difference? It's What's Pelé now? What a beautiful goal for Pelé! El Rey Pelé! 100 goals for Brazil in 
World Cup competitions and Brazil take this one nothing lead. Rivellino just crushes a simple volleyball that Pelé's up there like an eagle and a tremendous header. Pelé rose majestically to set them on their way as the Brazilians stormed past the exhausted Azuri, winning 4-1, including Pelé's superb header and an infamous team goal, finished off by captain Carlos Alberto. Erzino, faced by Facchetti. Oh, it's not a bad ball for Pelé on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. And what a great goal that was! Brazil were world champions again. Coming up on El Rey Pelé, King of Football, the Brazilian became and remains the only player to win three World Cups. But it wasn't just with Brazil that he set football alight. Benfica consider themselves favourites. And Santos go there and Pelé absolutely destroys them. He puts them 5-0 up in Lisbon. I mean, things like that just didn't happen then. It is, he would say, the greatest performance of his career. Pelé is arguably mostly remembered for his international career, but he also did incredible things at club level. Between 1956 and 1974, Pelé spent 18 years with his boyhood Brazilian club Santos and, including friendlies, scored a mind-blowing 1,091 goals. Olha lá! Segundo gol de sua senhoria, o senhor Edson Arantes do nascimento Pelé. South American football expert Tim Vickery explains how life began for Pele in this famous Santos team. And he's spotted young by one of the greats of Brazilian football. He played in the World Cups of the 30s, Valdemar Gibrieto, who uses his contacts to get him to Santos. Now, Santos, it's the port in good traffic. It's about an hour down the hill from the metropolis of Sao Paulo. And it, it's a city even today. It's less than half a million. But Pele joins Santos just at the time when they have a fantastic team. The year before he joins, they are champions of the state of Sao Paulo, I think only for the second time. And this means that right from the start, he is bedded in with fantastic players. He was so lucky to get into a team that was perfect for him to start expressing his genius. And that Pelé did. During Pelé's time with the club, Santos won six Brazilian titles, They've only won eight in their entire history. They also won their only two Intercontinental Cups, beating Benfica and Milan in the finals, as well as two Copa Libertadores trophies. Tim Vickery, who we just heard from, has been speaking to some of the older generation in Brazil about their memories of watching the great Pelé in the flesh. I'm Valdir Luiz of Rádio Nacional and TV Brazil, and I like to say a few words about Pelé. I recall big games of Pelé. As a kid, I used to watch Santos against Botafogo when they came to play at the Maracanã. It was madness. When they came to play Botafogo, the city came to a standstill. And when it was against the other Rio teams, Flamengo, Vasco, Fluminense, the Rio supporter went along to see the Santos attack. Marcelo Barreto. Eu nasci três anos antes da Copa de 70. I was born three years before the 1970 World Cup, and so for me, in my childhood, Pelé was synonymous with being a footballer. I thought that being a footballer meant that you had to do something similar to what Pelé used to do. For example, it took me a long time to realise that you don't have to celebrate goals by punching the air, because that's how Pelé did it. And so Pelé, for me, has always been a figure who's larger than life larger than football. 
Carlos Massu. Pelé era um super atleta, fisicamente inclusive. Pelé was a super athlete ahead of his time, and he was the first real global star of football before the age of globalization. Global do futebol, como a gente teve agora a era Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo. We come into the end of the era of Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, but it will always be registered that Pelé was the first to be football's global ambassador, an idol all over the planet, well before the world was connected as it is today. Pelé was adored by all in Brazil, but to many, it's a surprise his talents never took him to the riches of European football. Well, in 1961, the Brazilian government had declared Pelé a national treasure to prevent foreign clubs from taking him out of the country. Inter Milan had signalled their intent to sign Pelé with a million dollar bid, while Pelé revealed that the Juventus chairman had personally offered him a share in the Italian car company Fiat to try and lure him to Turin. But he stayed with Santos, becoming the poster boy for Brazil's emergence as the glamour team in world football. Pelé was flown all over the globe to play in exhibition matches as people flocked to watch his magic. Author David Goldblatt, who wrote the book Football Nation, a footballing history of Brazil, told us why Pelé played in so many exhibition matches with Santos. The truth is that there's not a lot of money in domestic football in Brazil. There's no television no TV rights, you know, you don't have the kind of commercial apparatus. And so there isn't a huge amount of money or ways at home of kind of cashing in on Pelé's uh, fame. But the tour is seen as a way of doing so. And they realise because of, you know, Pelé's incredible international profile, crowds are going to show up to watch him absolutely everywhere. I'm implying on literally every continent. And uh, they kept on doing it because the crowds kept on coming. Pelé represented Santos everywhere, from London to Lagos, from Plymouth to Madrid. Tim Vickery remembers one occasion where Pelé dazzled in those famous black and white stripes. The end of 62 in the, the, the old intercontinental champions of Europe and the champions of South America, which is effectively a world club championship. It's Santos against Benfica. Benfica consider themselves favourites. And Santos go there and Pelé absolutely destroys them. You can watch the footage on YouTube. It's grainy, but you really get an idea of a, a man who is so far ahead of massively talented opponents that it, it's just not true. He puts them 5-0 up in Lisbon. And it, wow. th things like that just didn't happen then. It is, he would say, the greatest performance of his career. Back home, away from the football pitch, the mid-60s were a turbulent time in Brazil. A military dictatorship was established on the 1st of April 1964 after a coup d'etat by the army with support from the US government against the then-president, João Goulart. Felipe Varne is a journalist from Brazilian paper O Globo, based in Rio de Janeiro, and told us what life was like for Brazilians under the military dictatorship in the late 60s. There was this idea in the, in the society that the military would just be there to hold things together until things got back to normal and then they would voluntarily give up the power. Sadly, that was not, not what happened. The dictatorship intensified. And in 1968, there was the Institutional Act Number 5, which basically dissolved the Congress and gave the, the authorities the possibility of arresting any person and keeping them without communication for 30 days, which basically was greenlighting torture. Those were difficult, difficult times, and, and that was just, just the beginning of a dictatorship that lasted until the, until the mid-80s. And the government often used Pelé and the Brazilian national team's success for their own ends. 
When Brazil won the 1970 World Cup, they were flown straight to the presidential palace in Brasilia, and on numerous occasions, Pelé was pictured with the president. Pelé has sometimes faced criticism for not speaking out publicly against the regime, but Sao Paulo-based journalist and 442 contributor Maurizio Savarese understands Pelé's stance. When you live in a dictatorship, people can be tortured, and you cannot ask people to endure torture because it's a, it's a huge crime, and everyone had that in their minds. I mean, anyone could be tortured for any reason. Anyone could be tortured just to say Pele did something wrong. And I understand not everyone is, is supposed to, to speak out. Pele never did that. He basically stepped away, said that was not his territory. He only talks about football. And um, I understand the part of not getting involved because, because of fear. <laughs> On the field itself, no matter what was going on, no matter what the competition, one thing you could guarantee was Pelé hitting the back of the net. The numbers are simply staggering. And on November the 19th, 1969, more history was made as Pelé scored his 1,000th career goal. Pelé became the first player ever to reach 1,000 goals as he scored a penalty against Vasco da Gama at the Maracana Stadium, sparking wild celebrations. He was even cheered on by the 80,000 home fans who were there to support Pelé's opponents. But all good things must come to an end. After the 1974 season, Pelé's 19th with Santos, he retired from Brazilian club football and would soon set off on an exciting new chapter 5,000 miles to the north, to the city that never sleeps. In old New In 1975, Pele came out of retirement to sign for the American side New York Cosmos. It was a trailblazing move. Pele could have gone pretty much anywhere in the world, but with the Cosmos, he had a chance not just to win football matches, but to win over a whole country. 35-year-old superstar Pele arrived in the Big Apple to bedlam from the American people. David Kilpatrick is an official New York Cosmos historian and explains the impact Pele made when he touched down in New York. So he was announced that with a great deal of fanfare in Midtown Manhattan at the 21 Club, absolutely packed, riotous, infamous press conference when he finally showed up and really announced himself on, on, the, uh, on the American stage. The traditional line of tourists at one end of the White House, while at the other an excited sports fan. The sports fan, the president, and his guest, Pele, newly signed by the New York Cosmos and in town to play in a greatly heralded match with the Washington diplomats. You know, a lot of people, I think, aren't aware that, you know, when Pele came here, he didn't just come to play. He worked extremely hard day and night doing countless camps and clinics for kids all around the the not only the New York area, but any city where the Cosmos would play. Uh, tremendous missionary work that he did on behalf of the beautiful game here. And even as the crowds grew and the passion increased, the man most responsible for the explosion was coming to the end of his fabulous career. For Pelé, the crowds and adulation were the fulfillment of a mission as New Jersey Meadowlands became Cosmos country. He made his debut for the Cosmos on the 15th of June 1975 against the Dallas Tornado at Downing Stadium, scoring in a 2-2 draw. There was an instant success for Pele's new team, but some more major signings helped build a title-winning side. Against Miami, he once again reached the heights, somersaulting through the air to score spectacularly with a bicycle kick. Pelé led the Cosmos to the 1977 North American Soccer League Championship 
and in the June of 77, the Cosmos attracted a record 62,394 fans to the Giant Stadium for a 3-0 victory over the Tampa Bay Rowdies, with a 37-year-old Pelé scoring a hat-trick. Former Aston Villa, West Brom and England winger Steve Hunt signed for the Cosmos from Villa in 1977 and played alongside Pelé. He told us the effect the great Brazilian had on his own career. He made me grow up, to be honest. I mean, I was 20 years old, a bit of a hothead, and, uh, you know, I'd fly off the handle now and again and lose it, and he calmed me down. We did have an argument on the pitch once, and I was substituted within 10 seconds. He took offence because I had a shot when he, he thought I should have passed to him. It only just went over the bar, and I thought, oh, I'm pretty pleased with that, but he gave me a mouthful. So, unfortunately, I gave him a, a mouthful back, and it didn't go down very well. We had to sit down afterwards and have a chat. And again, it was all part of growing up and he was great about it. And we went from strength to strength. And Steve also revealed one of Pelé's secrets to keeping up his energy levels deep into his 30s. Well, at half time, Pelé went to sleep. <laughs> uh, seriously, he, um, he used to lie flat on the floor with his uh, legs up on the bench and it, somebody would get him a, an iced towel you know, soaking wet towel, put it over his head and you wouldn't see him until the, the buzzer went for us to go out for the second half. He just totally switched off. You don't take the the, uh, the towel off him, do you? I mean, you've got to, you know, you don't want to mess with him. He can handle himself. So you just respected he needed his rest. I mean, I think he was 35, 36 at the time. You know, he, he appreciated his sleep. He wanted rest. And then he was up and running again. After a few more half-time sleeps, Pelé finished his official playing career by leading the New York Cosmos to their first Soccer Bowl title with a 2-1 win over the Seattle Sounders at the Civic Stadium in Portland. Over the next few years, other superstars including Johan Cruyff, Eusebio, Bobby Moore and George Best, inspired by Pelé, came to the league. And on the 1st of October 1977, Pelé closed his career in an exhibition match between the Cosmos and Santos. He marked his time in the States with an iconic speech to the watching thousands. Say with me, three times, Lord, Lord, and Lord. Thank you very much. Coming up, Pelé finally hung up his boots in 1977 after a glittering career, but his love affair with the beautiful game wasn't over just yet. Starring Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, Max von Sydow, and introducing Pele. How'd you like to play football against the Germans? Why not? The famous goal in the movie, the overhead kick. They wanted to do a spectacular goal, you know, at the end, and Bobby Moore crossed it, and he's actually done an overhead kick, and everybody's went, whoa, take one. Pelé retired as a player in 1977, but his impact on the game was far from over. After he'd hung up his boots in many ways, his legacy grew as people realised just how special he was. The awards and recognition would keep on coming. In 1994, Pelé was appointed a United Nations Goodwill Ambassador. In 1995, he was awarded Brazil's gold medal for outstanding services to the sport. In 1997, he was awarded an honorary British knighthood from the Queen. And in 1999, he was voted Athlete of the Century by the International Olympic Committee. Tonight, we honour the greatest player to have ever graced a football field. The winner is Edson Arantes do Nascimento. You know him as Pelé. But Pelé's talents were not only confined to the football pitch. In 1977, Pelé released an album with the great Brazilian composer Sergio Mendes to be used on a documentary about his football career. Aqui 
Trovador no fim da tarde Dedilhando a viola Let's begin in 1981, four years after his official retirement, where alongside legendary actors Sylvester Stallone and Michael Caine, he starred in the blockbuster film Escape to Victory. In 1942, the Nazis thought they were sitting on top of the world, never suspecting that they could be toppled in one conflict, the most unusual battle of the war. It has been decided that a German national team will play a combined team from the prisoners of war of the occupied territories. That's crazy. Okay, I'm ready to sign up. Victory, starring Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, Max von Sydow, and introducing Pele. How'd you like to play football against the Germans? Why not? Pele played Trinidadian Corporal Luis Fernandez as he helped the Allied forces to a victory over the Germans. I want you to pass, pass, always pass. Let the ball do the running for you. Don't try and run with it. You're in no condition to run for 90 minutes, I tell you. Good. Have to give me ball. Here I do this, 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 this. Go. Easy. <laughs> Former Richest Town and Liverpool midfielder John Walk featured in the film alongside Pele and explained what that experience was like. When you meet superstar in our days, you're in awe of people, you know, but Pele's the best player in the world and you're thinking, how do you react to this? But he, he was a proper, real nice guy and some things he did during that uh, escape to victory was unbelievable. I think he might have been 40 then, he was retired and he was taking the mickey out of all us and we were, you know, like quite young and, you know, top of our game. But even when we were just before we were warming up and all that, you know, when you put Piggy in the middle, he's taking the mickey out of us, you know, nutmegging us and all that, and you're like, oh my God, you couldn't actually get near him, you know, because he was that clever. John also recalled how Pele nailed one of the film's most famous scenes. The overhead kick, basically. He, we get told they wanted they wanted to do a spectacular goal, you know, at the end, and Bobby Moore crossed it, and he's actually done an overhead kick, and everybody's went, whoa, take one. Usually it would have been, you know, maybe three or four goals before you even get close, but his was just one take, which is quite scary. And Pele's acting career didn't end there. In 1969, he starred in a Latin American soap opera about first contact with aliens. And in 2001, he even had a cameo in the satire film Mike Bassett, England Manager. But it wasn't just through film that Pelle would make an impact after his playing days. He wanted to make a true positive change in his homeland, Brazil. Between 1995 and 1998, Pelle served as Brazil's extraordinary minister of sport. Author David Goldblatt told us about how Pelle got that role. In the late 1990s, Henrique Cardoso is the uh, president of Brazil and he turns his attention to the footballing world, which has been, through the 1990s, fabulously corrupt and fabulously incompetent in many ways. And so the Cardoso regime was, we need to do, we need to reform this. And they call on Pelé to be their, you know, minister of, uh, special minister of sport. And, you know, he's not called up for his legal expertise or even his political acumen but to give a kind of um, legitimacy to, you know, these actually quite minor but really needed reforms, as if to say to the kind of cesspit of Brazilian uh, football officialdom, like, 
come on, Pelé is behind this. You can't possibly be against this reform. And Brazilian journalist Felipe Varney reveals the role that Pelé played in advocating the Bosman rule during his time as a minister, the law which allows players to move to a new club for free at the end of their contract. He is mostly responsible for bringing the Bosman ruling to Brazil. The Bosman ruling in Brazil is known as Le, Le Pelé, the Pelé law. He was the one who championed that, the Bosman ruling here. Pretty much his, his run as, as Minister of Sports was devoted to that. Pelé also served as United Nations Ambassador for Ecology and the Environment. Along with his multitude of talents, Pelé was a great man who charmed those lucky enough to meet him. Rangers legend Ali McCoist had the opportunity to interview him in France in 1998 and told us what that was like. One of the biggest thrills in my life was, was um, 98 World Cup. Um, biggest disappointment and the biggest thrill biggest disappointment not making the squad which I should have by the way and then the biggest one of the biggest thrills was actually interviewing Pelly for 30 minutes um, before the Scotland-Brazil game I sat down with him introduced myself um, and he obviously asked where I was from I said Scotland and it was absolutely fantastic the first part of the interview he lifted up his trouser leg and showed me a mark and claimed it was Billy Bremner from 1974 Um, and he told me to tell Billy Bremner he was asking for him after that tackle but oh what a hero what a legend Pelé was a man who tried to find time for everybody he was even subjected to an interview by our very own Ray Parler the Romford Pelé well Pelé my nickname uh, believe it or not is the Romford Pelé I played for Arsenal in England did you ever see my winning goal in a 2002 FA Cup final no I, I don't I don't see him. I'm sorry I don't have a TV <laughs> okay Okay, thank you anyway, Pele. Thanks for your time. Obrigado. He may not have seen Parler's goal, but one thing he would have noticed is the great debate that has raged on for decades since he retired of who is the greatest ever. And it usually comes down to four names. Lionel Messi. And here he is again, moving into the box, going past the defender, leaving on his backside, chipping the goalkeeper and scoring a fantastic goal. If there's a better player in the world, I've never seen him. Ronaldo! Scores a hat-trick, always been the man for the big occasion. The way that Maradona has been able to do. And he's hurting England again here. It's a brilliant run. It's one of the World Cup great goals. Pelé now. What a beautiful goal from Pelé. El Rey Pelé. Here are the thoughts of Talk Sports' leading pundits on the age-old debate. This is Lionel Messi. If you think this is his best performance ever, you're mistaken because he does this very often, week in, week out, in La Liga. Does it in the Champions League as well. He's been doing it for over 10 years. Now you've got to throw Messi in with, with Pelé and Maradona and, and the rest can all have a debate between themselves. I mean, there's three players in my lifetime who I watched who had me on the edge of the seat. Only three. Pelé, Maradona and Messi. Ronaldo and others, are plenty of other players, but don't have me on the edge of my seat. Mm. Them three did. They've done mm. things others could only dream about. The best in many, many people's eyes. Walter Smith and I used to argue cat and dog every day. I used to go for Maradona. He was like, was it fit to lace Pelly's boots? Pelly's up there. Was he the best ever? Yeah, possibly. Was Maradona, Messi, Ronaldo. It's a toss-up, really. He doesn't have what Maradona had in 86. Over recent times, I've come back to the idea that maybe Pelé is the greatest of the greats. Pelé, I think, is the most perfect footballing machine in technical and in psychological terms. Who is the one player you're going to choose to play for your life? I'm going with Pelé. To 
settle the matter, a History Channel programme in 2018 officially declared Pelé as the greatest of all time, ahead of Maradona, Messi and Ronaldo. But whether you consider him as the very best or not, Pelé's impact on football will never be forgotten. 1,281 goals in 1,363 matches, 77 for Brazil in 92 appearances, 92 hat-tricks, 4 goals on 31 occasions, 5 goals on 6 occasions and he even once scored 8 in a single match. Pelé was special. Pelé was the king. Thank you for listening to this special programme on TalkSport. El Rey Pelé, the king of football. Acredita no velho Pode falar, me ser filho Que o velho tem força Faz seu time ganhar O dinheiro é pro santo Pode pagar, me ser filho Que o velho não cobra Pra trabalhar Acredita no velho Pode falar, me ser filho The Talksport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood. Join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store or via the app.